Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And I'd like to introduce you to my guest this morning. His name is William Attaway. He's a leadership coach and he has a company that he founded. This is my favorite part. He intentionally, and you all know that intention is my word for 2022, he intentionally helps leaders grow and thrive. He has also served in his local church ministry for over 25 years, and he's currently the lead pastor of Southview Community Church, which is in Herndon, Virginia, near Washington, D.C. He has served there since 2004. He holds a Ph.D. in Old Testament with an emphasis in biblical backgrounds and archaeology, and he loves to read and speak about leadership. So those are two components right there for a great conversation. So William, welcome to the show. Deb, thanks so much for having me on today. I'm so excited to talk to you and you have had such an interesting career that I want to unpack in our interview. So I'm going to start with my first leadership question. Can you share with our listeners what you call or refer to? What is catalytic leadership? Now, when I went to college, I went as a pre-pharmacy major. I had worked in a pharmacy in high school and thought this was going to be a great path for me. Uh, I got there, got through inorganic chemistry, got to organic chemistry, and discovered pretty quickly this is not what I want to spend the rest of my life doing. (laughs) In my brief chemistry studies, I discovered the power of a catalyst. This is something that you would introduce to incite or accelerate significant change. When I think about leadership, I think about catalysts. I think about a a real leader. A catalytic leader is one who sees the need for change, who sees what could be, what should be, and wants to make that happen, wants to be the catalyst to help accelerate that change, that, that coming of what could be and what should be in any organization, any company, any business, even any relationship. Well, and what I love about that is a couple of things that you touched on, and, and I like the way you frame that. We can be focused on the outcome, but we always have to come back and live in that present moment, that power of now, and and really embrace the journey. And we've talked a lot on the show about discipline and structure because it's too easy for us to get sucked in or succumb to the outcome. And then we go off on this catastrophic tangent of thinking. And that's when, you know, people say, well, I'm not getting anything done. And it's getting them off that hamster wheel. So I love the way that you've kind of coined that phrase of catalytic leadership and what it really means. And it comes down to our vision and how we're fostering and leading the journey. And it's so funny because before I hit record, I had mentioned to you about a previous guest that is upcoming on the podcast, Dr. Gina Gilliam-Joseph. She was going to be a pharmacist. 
Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So it's just so funny because I've just interviewed you back to back and she almost said the same thing. Like, oh, Deb, I got to school and I started and I thought this is not my path. So how ironic is that? So cool. I <laughs> love it. That's awesome. Now, my second question has permanent residency on the show. I've had a lot of fun asking this question. I, it brings a lot of laughter. I never get the same answer twice. There's some similarities for sure. Share with us what imperfections that William brings to his heart-centered leadership. Oh, my goodness. How much time do we have, Deb? <laughs> you know, I think every, every person that enters into any leadership sphere or realm brings with them a lot of baggage from their journey. And I'm no exception to that. I came in from the business world. I worked in the business world for Bell South Mobility for a number of years. I moved from that into local church ministry where I've spent almost 25 years now. And moving from the business world, from, from corporate world into the church world and the nonprofit space, um, that's a very interesting mix. And there's not a lot of people who would have had experience or feet in both of those worlds. And then moving into the leadership coaching space, right? Alongside my church ministry, most of my clients are not in the church world. These are, these are not people of faith. These are entrepreneurs. These are leaders in the C-suite or government contractors or government employees in the DC area, as you might imagine. That's a very varied group uh, of experiences. And all of that informed me. So one of the biggest challenges I have is exactly what you talked about just a minute ago, the danger of moving toward outcomes as outcomes being the thing that, you know, I want to see results. I want to see this happen. That type A personality that is so present here in the DC metro area, boy, I can fall right into that. And the problem with that is now I'm leading based on results instead of from a heart-centered place. Instead of putting people first, I'm putting tasks first. That's something that I will trip on if I'm not careful. And by careful, I mean, I've got to be mindful of that every single day. There's not a day that I can forget that. If I don't start my day the right way, if I don't start with that mindset, boy, I'll, I'll trip and fall into that ditch in a heartbeat. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the tasks and the subtasks and the results, and then just have that tsunami of the outcome just wash us out cognitively emotionally. It's when I always say, take a pause, take a break. I'm a yoga teacher, get outside, go for a walk, take some deep breaths. People laugh at such, at such a simple strategy. We all need a reset. And I think we've had a, a global reset the last two years. But when you're mindful of being people-centric, heart-centered first, you will never sway and, and land up in that that kind of misaligned way of thinking. It's so crucial. And everybody always says, how much time do we have when I ask that question? I told you it brought laughter. So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> now, my third question is, you talk about the necessity when we look at organizational change. How and why, based on your journey and, and what you're going to share with us now or unpack, why is it such a necessity that we need to lead organizational change? And if I can just add a little bit of a point B of this question, has your answer mindset or theory changed because of what we've dealt with the last two years with the global pandemic? For me, my experience and the experience of so many leaders that I've worked with over the years has been that growth only happens on the other side of change. So change is not a like to have or a nice to have. Change is a necessity. 
if I want to grow as a leader, if I want my organization to grow in its effectiveness, if I want my business to grow in, in the goals that I'm setting out, the KPIs or whatever, that requires change. Growth only happens on the other side of change. So for any leader, particularly a catalytic leader, I believe that change is a non-negotiable. That means that I've got to be intentional about it. And there comes that word again. If I'm not intentional about making sure it's the right change, then I'm liable to end up in a different ditch, right? I talk about change management often using a rubber band. If I take a rubber band and I stretch it, and I stretch it too far, too fast, what happens? It pops, right? It's no longer effective at the purpose of the rubber band, and now it's useless. But if I take that same rubber band and I stretch it, and then I let it go a little bit, and then I stretch it a little farther, and I let it go a little bit, and I stretch it a little farther, and I let it go a little bit. What have I done? I'm going to get the same results in the end. I'm going to end up being able to stretch it farther and farther and farther, right? But I do so in a measured, intentional way. I'm choosing how I'm going to introduce change. Every organization is like that rubber band. It can handle different amounts of change at different speeds. And part of the job of a leader, I think, is to measure that, to figure out what is the change tolerance in the organization, which changes are needed. That's evaluation. And what's the change tolerance as far as speed, pace, and, and like how much can we do at once without popping the rubber band? That's critical. What I love about that is when we get to ask leaders, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to qualify and say director level up to C-suite, mm -hmm. when we can get them to sit in the observer's chair to anchor the vision, because that's their role, it's hard because they're always stretching and unstretching that band. But what I love how you framed it was intentionality is fueled by progression. Yes. And perfection's non-existent. It's never going to be a tangible reality. And that it just comes back full circle. Growth will always be on the other side of change. That doesn't mean we're not going to have barbed wire fences or potholes or speed bumps along the way, just to use that kind of metaphor geographically. But it's holding on to that rubber band to know how much it can be stretched, but not giving up the ability to be a heart-centered leader in the process. So true. I love that. You just led beautifully into my last question. I have a poster that has 20 qualities that I will send to you as, as a little token of my appreciation. I believe each heart-centered leader has 20 qualities in their toolkit. Mm. It doesn't mean we're meant to possess them all the time. And you talk about being family focused as a leader. This is a conversation that I have every single day because I don't believe in work-life balance. I, I think that term should be put in the trash bag and taken to the curb. I believe in integration. We're not scales. We don't tip one side, then the other side. Integration is purposeful. Mm -hmm. It's meaningful. It's alignment. So my question is, how does one become family focused as a leader? And do you see that as truly leading and modeling self-care? That's fantastic. You know, I, I love at Thanksgiving to eat out of these plates that have little dividers in them where the food doesn't touch. Those are my favorite because I think each food has its own flavor and taste and I want to savor it as its own. And I know what happens when it goes down and gets mixed. I get all that. But up here in my mouth, I want to savor the taste. I think too often we think our lives are like those plates. And what happens in one section of our life has a little wall and it doesn't affect anything else. And the fact of the matter is that nothing could be farther from the truth. 
We are integrated beings. Every part of our life touches every other part of our life. So for a leader to think that what happens at home is not going to affect what happens at the office or vice versa, that's just not true. And we need to call that out. We need to be clear about that. One of the things that I constantly talk with my coaching clients about is that truth, that you have to understand that everything touches everything else. Let me give you an example of that. Three years ago this week, actually, we had something unexpected happen in our family's life. Uh, my older daughter had started having some headaches. We didn't understand what or why. We thought maybe she's developing migraines like I've suffered from since I was a teenager. So we went to the doctor and went to the doctor again and it wasn't getting better. Everything we tried was effective for a minute, but not for long and it came back. And so we, we ended up taking her again and they did some tests and discovered that she had a tumor on the back right side of her brain. Very unexpected. There's no history of this in our family at all. No nothing leading up to this other than the headaches. And two days later, they take it out. They take her to the hospital by ambulance. You know, two days later, it's out. Two days later, she's home and we wait. And we waited for the biopsy results to see what this was. That period of waiting was probably some of the most stressful time that I can ever imagine for our family going through those weeks that were to come. And three years ago this week, we met with the oncologist and got the results. And it was a very, very rare form of cancer. Only about 50 teenagers a year in the world are diagnosed with it. So as you might imagine, there's not a ton of research on this. This is a fairly new field. So we began a journey and we began a journey with, with treatments and radiation and all of the things that you go through. And I'm, I'm so grateful and happy to tell you that she's doing great. And we're, we're three years now into this journey. Uh, it has not regrown. And that's, that's such a blessing. This week, actually tomorrow, we're having another, uh, another scan to see if there's any evidence of regrowth. But I tell you that story to, to illustrate this, that during that season, that, that four or five month season of, of all of that happening, you know, I wasn't focused on the next objectives, the next mountain to climb at work. I wasn't focused on, you know, accomplishing our goals for the year or the quarter. I was focused on my daughter and our family. I think for every leader, there has to be this understanding that one day someone else is going to sit in the chair you sit in. One day someone else is going to do what you do. But at the end of your life, who's going to be there with you? What are the relationships that you have invested in? And this is one of the things that I love most about your podcast, Deb, is that this idea of heart-centered leadership. Because truly, I've spent a lot of time over the last 25 years with people at the end of their lives. And I have never once heard anybody say, boy, I wish I had spent more time at the office. I wish I had spent more time accomplishing my, my objectives at work. But I have heard so many regrets around relationships that were not invested in, around time that was not spent with those closest to you who are there at the end, hopefully. That's a ditch I don't want to fall into. And that's a ditch I think we can avoid as leaders, but we have to be intentional about it. And that's why I talk about being family focused as a leader. I don't think you can be truly catalytic in your leadership without that being a major focus and intentional component. You know, I talk about serendipitous moments on this podcast, and I can, I can see now why our paths have crossed. Before I coached, I was a, a neurotrauma case manager. Oh, my goodness. So I sat at many kitchen tables in various places in Ontario, Canada, and I sat with parents who went through the exact same thing that you did with your daughter. And that, that space that you talk about 
it was so limitless in so many ways. It felt short yet long. It was emotional. It was draining. It was fatigue at a level that parents thought they'd never get to after being sleep deprivated with babies. I meet you there and I I hear you and I validate that space. When I closed my practice, again, serendipitous moments, uh, six months after I closed my practice, our daughter got in a car accident and sustained a brain injury. Oh my goodness. And you, and you pause and think, what is the lesson? And then the last goosebump moment to share with you is the reason I got out of case managing and moved into coaching was because I lost five executives at hospice. Oh my goodness. So I, I have too had the honor and privilege of sitting with many and, and holding their hand at the end of life. And I always get, how do you do this? How do you come here? And it's just a simple answer for me. I, I sit in the observer's chair and I smile and I say, I was you. And I'm just a little farther down that grief journey, just a little farther down the road. Mm. And I think the best way to deal with grief and trigger memories and all of this has its place in leadership language and speak is to share and, and be that emotional, agile person. And when we sit in that observer's chair and, and can look at life through that person's eyes and, and really validate to say, you know, Seth Godin calls it radical empathy, which I love that mm-hmm. term. Having empathy, it's, it's a honed skill and you don't master it. You just make it part of your activities of daily living because somebody can use our empathy every day, especially now. So it's nice to, to close off this part of the conversation. I'm glad your daughter's doing well, and we hope all is well with her scans. And she's definitely got the right dad for sure. I hope that's true. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Such a touching sure. story and serendipity. I'm telling you, it shows up a lot on this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to switch to what I call my fab four. These are just four random fun questions. What's sitting on the top of that brilliant mind of yours? The first question is share with us something that we don't know about William. I've had the opportunity to spend uh, several seasons on the staff of an archaeological dig in Jordan at the northeast corner of the Dead Sea, where we have been digging now for uh, nearly 15 years uh, at a site that's about 60 acres. It's one of the largest Middle Bronze Age sites in that whole part of the world. Uh, so it's been an absolutely phenomenal experience. Wow, that's interesting. And fully in line with your, your previous academic pursuit. So how wonderful. It's almost like a full circle moment for you. Definitely. That's amazing. Okay, second question. Share with us a book that you've read at some point in your life that was really life-changing and impactful and share the title and the author. It's an older book, but one that I think should be read by every person on the planet. It's also very, very long. So I have to give all those disclaimers at the front. (laughs) It's The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. Weighs in at over a thousand pages, but truly one of the greatest works of literature, I think, that I have ever read. I love to read, and it it is my favorite. Uh, I will read it regularly. I've read it several times and will continue to read it every couple of years because it has such an impact on me watching what what the character goes through in his development through his life, experiencing loss, experiencing success, 
And then watching what happens when bitterness and anger eat away at the very core of who he is and the dangers that are so prevalent in that. It's such a powerful book. So I I highly recommend that. You know, I think we all have those books that we like rereading because there's always another nugget that we pick up or maybe we interpret or process different when we read it again. Absolutely. That's an interesting thousand pages. That's a heavy book. It is. (laughs) Okay. Third question. I'm going to grant you a wish. Hmm. And the wish is that I'm going to let you have dinner with a leader that you would love to meet. So let me put this in context. The leader could be living now, or they may have passed away. Who would that leader be that would be joining you for dinner? And what would be the dinner conversation? I think the first one that comes to mind is one I've been reading about lately. Uh, and that's George Washington, a man who, who's very complicated, like so many throughout history, like me, like you. So, it's, you know, it's so complicated, such a complicated individual, but one who saw the main thing and provided leadership, steady leadership at a time when it was so critically needed. And when people all around him were telling him to keep leading, keep going, he stepped down. He, he willingly relinquished power and leadership and control at what many would argue as the peak of his career to someone else, knowing that they would change some of what he did, but understanding that Leadership is not just about being the guy in the chair. It's not just about being the person in control, the person in charge, but that there was a larger picture at stake here. I love that. I would love to have a conversation around how he got to that point of maturity, how he learned what he learned to know to do that. And you know what I love about your answer is it makes me think of as we age and mature and really embrace what we've already talked about on the show today, the importance of life is what got him there and how he anchored it in some form of legacy. Absolutely. You know, legacy isn't always good. If people are still talking about people many, many years later, legacy can have impact. And sometimes we don't see it for many years to come. And I think that would be an interesting dinner conversation. Well, before I close out the show and give you my fourth question, I just want to say I am so happy that our paths have crossed. I'm going to chalk it up to serendipity and artificial intelligence all wrapped in one. How's that? I love that. (laughs) And I'm grateful for your time today. And thank you for sharing some of your expertise on leadership and giving us a little glimpse into your heart and your heart-centered leadership and sharing a little bit about your family and your daughter. And just know it comes from an abundant and grateful place in my heart. Thank you so much for having me on, Deb. So my fourth question is fun. And it's, again, I never get the same answer. So finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? People-focused. It's remembering that people are more important than tasks. That building up people is the first task of a leader. It's not getting what you need or want from them. It's equipping, empowering them, lifting them up so they can achieve the absolute maximum of their potential. That is real leadership. And that's heart-centered leadership. You've been listening to the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. 
And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time and we'll see you again.